Well, I think the big idea of this Christmas passage is this. All people must respond to the message that Jesus is the Savior. this morning and celebrate the birth of Jesus. So Merry Christmas to everyone as well. I'm guessing every one of us here has been in what seems like an impossible situation, maybe a difficult relationship or some conflict. It seems like there's no way out of it. How do we solve this situation? How do we solve this problem? How can we make this relationship right again? What's the right thing to do? And if we, even if we know the right thing to do, how do we do the right thing and maintain this relationship? How do we do the right thing if it means our friend is shamed or it loses face? In our passage that we're going to look at this morning, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, Joseph faces this type of situation with Mary, his soon-to-be wife. He wants to be both right and merciful, but it seems impossible This is an impossible situation. We're going to see in this passage how God acts in a way through this impossible situation in such a way that Joseph could not have even imagined that it would work out this way. So let's start by reading the passage. Please follow along as I read Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, I think the big idea of this Christmas passage is this. All people must respond to the message that Jesus is the Savior. This passage shows that Jesus is the Savior. This message requires a response from all people. So all people must respond to the message that Jesus is the Savior. Let's start by looking at the scenario of this dilemma. So point number one is Joseph's dilemma. We'll look at verse 18 and 19. Joseph's dilemma. Matthew starts this section by saying, 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. The first 17 verses of Matthew, the author spends those verses to go through a genealogy to talk about the lineage of Jesus, starting with Abraham. And now he's going to tell us about the birth of Jesus. So he says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Mary and Joseph are engaged. They're betrothed. This means that literally, or legally, they're pledged to be married. So it's legal that they're married, but they're not together yet as a husband and wife. So with Mary being pregnant, it seems clear that she's committed adultery. Now the writer tells us that this child is from the Holy Spirit. And we know from Luke 1 and 2 that this is the case as well. But we don't know what Mary shared at that time, if she told the story of the angel's visit or if she kept quiet. Either way, it looked like she had committed adultery. I wonder if you've ever found out some shocking news like this news that Joseph found out about Mary. Maybe it left you thinking, what do I do now? How do I move forward? What should I do? And that seems like that's what Joseph is thinking here. When he found out that Mary was pregnant. Verse 19 says that Joseph resolved to divorce her quietly. So it seems to Joseph that the clear path is to divorce Mary, is to call off the marriage, call off the wedding. But the path forward also seems unclear in how to do that. It says that he resolved to divorce her quietly, meaning that there was an option to divorce her publicly or loudly. He could bring shame on her and her whole family. It's possible there was even legal action that he could take against her and maybe her father. He could go to her and say, how could you do this? He could ask her father, what kind of tricks are you trying to play here? I thought your daughter was virtuous. But we're told two things about Joseph here. One is that he's just. So he wants to do the right thing. He wants to do what's righteous before God. And the second thing is that he's unwilling to put her to shame. As it says in verse uh, 19, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. So he has compassion for Mary. He wants to show mercy by not putting her to shame through divorcing her in a public way or in a shameful way. But it seems like there's not a lot of room here for Joseph to be just and merciful. See, Joseph's operating under God's law, what we consider the Old Testament law. God gave his law as a standard for all people, that the rules that we should follow in order to be in a right relationship with him. But we know from Scripture that these rules don't save anyone. God's law serves to show us that we need a Savior, that we are sinners and need a Savior. So Joseph is feeling the tension here as he looks to God's law for justice and mercy. How can that happen? It seems to him that the only way to do this, as it says he's resolved to divorce her quietly. Divorcing her quietly would minimize the shame. It doesn't remove the shame, but it minimizes the shame and embarrassment to Mary and to her family and to Joseph himself. So it seems he determines he's going to minimize the shame and divorce her quietly because it's the right thing to do. So, 
What do you do when you face a difficult situation or a conflict with another person? When you need to give a response, you must respond in some way, how do you decide how to respond? Would others look at your life and, and characterize you as being just and unwilling to put others to shame? Or is it easy for us to bring about the shame of others in order to protect ourselves? It seems clear that God has developed Joseph's character to the place where he desires to be right before God, to be righteous, to be just, and to show mercy. Not to avenge the wrong that has been committed against him, but to show mercy. So we should pray for this type of response to conflict in our lives, that we would follow the model of Joseph, that God has developed in him, that we would desire justice and mercy. Now we must admit when we face conflict and difficulty, we must admit our need for God. The struggles that we have in life point us to our need for a Savior. We don't have the tools to take care of them ourselves. We cannot, from God's law or our own law or our own moral living, make things right. We cannot bring justice and mercy. So it seems that Joseph went to bed resolved to divorce Mary. He was probably thinking that this was the best way to take care of this situation. This was the only option forward to be just and merciful. As best he can, it just minimizes the shame, but it's, it's not satisfying, it's not complete, but this seems to be the best way forward for him. At least that's what he thinks. Let's keep reading. Let's look at verse 20. But as, they cons as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So here, God enters the scene. God comes in. And this is point number two, God's good news. God shows up with good news for Joseph. And not just for Joseph, but for all people. So God's good news. Let's keep reading at what the angel says. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here Joseph is dreaming. He went to bed thinking about, this, thinking about Mary and this decision to divorce her. He's probably hurt from her apparent infidelity. She was supposed to save herself for him, but it seems like she didn't. But as Joseph sleeps, an angel of the Lord shows up in his dream. It's clear to Joseph that this is a messenger from God. And the message of the angel is basically this. Mary's baby is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior of God's people. And God wants you, Joseph, son of David, to adopt him as your son, to raise him as your own, even if he's not biologically yours, because God is making him your legal son, according to the law. So the message is, this is the Christ. This is God's Savior. 
And God's job for Joseph is to raise him and to adopt him as his earthly son. Notice how the angel says, do not fear, in verse 20. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. I wonder what fear was going on in Joseph. What type of fear was driving him to not want to marry Mary, to want to divorce her? Maybe it was fear of man. Maybe he was thinking, what will other people think? They will think I'm crazy or I'm foolish. Maybe they'll think poorly of me or of Mary. He may have had a fear of being wrong. It says he wants to be, he is just, a just man. He may have had a fear of making the wrong decision. He needs to be very sure he's being right. He wants to be right according to God's law. And so the right thing is to divorce her. Maybe he had a fear of punishment. He may have thought, if I do marry her, what if God doesn't bless our marriage? What if we carry this with us for the rest of our lives? Maybe some fear of of punishment. It could have been other fears or lots of fears all mashed together. But whatever it is, Joseph had a fear of marrying her. But the angel says, do not fear to take her as your wife. This reminds me of 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That points to what's going on in Joseph at this point. He's under the law, thinking of the law, and he's fearful, fearful of punishment that could come because he's under the law. But the verse says that perfect love, God's perfect love, casts out that fear. So the fears that Joseph had are are cast out by God's perfect love in that he's sending his son, he's sending the Savior to save God's people. So the dilemma that Joseph is facing is answered by the message from the angel. Divorce is not the only option, nor is it the right option anymore. So looking to the law, looking to rules, looking to moral living, for Joseph and for all of us, instead of looking to those things, we need to look to Christ for the salvation that we need. He is the one who saves, and it's salvation that we need. So through Christ, Joseph is right to show mercy to Mary by taking her as his wife. So it's through Christ that Joseph is right to show mercy to Mary by taking her as his wife. He doesn't have to decide between being just or being merciful, being right and being compassionate. No, the right thing is the merciful thing, is the compassionate thing here. Now, let's take a a closer look at what this good news, God's good news is that the angel talks about, specifically related to Jesus. So look at verse 20. The angel says that they, uh, Joseph should not fear to take Mary as his wife, and then says, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So this pregnancy is a miracle. This is a miracle pregnancy. Mary was not supposed to have a baby. It's not humanly possible. It's not scientifically or biologically possible for her, for her to have a baby. This is unnatural and uncommon. That's what makes it a miracle. 
God works in unnatural and uncommon ways, and that's what we call miracles. I mentioned earlier Luke chapter 1 confirms this point as well, that it, Mary was not supposed to have a baby. It wasn't possible for, have a, for her to have a baby, but God has done the impossible. Verse 21 starts, she will bear a son. Now this is in a time before there was sonograms to know the gender of a baby before they're born. So he's telling him what's going to happen. And what this points to is the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is a man. It doesn't say that Mary will give birth to a god. It doesn't say that Mary will give birth to a puppy or any other being. She's going to give birth to a son, and the son is a man. Now, He's not only a man, but he is fully man. The Son, with a capital S, the second person of the Trinity, the Son was already God before he came to the world as Jesus. So the Son was already God before he came to the world as Jesus. In the Gospel of John, the very first verse says, In the beginning was the Word. And when it says the Word, that means that points to the Son, that points to Jesus. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus existed before, the Son existed before He came as Jesus. But when He came, He came as a man. So Jesus is a man, but He is also God. He is the one and only God-man, fully God and fully man. And he came with a specific and important purpose and mission. That's what we see in the rest of verse 21. It says, You shall call his name Jesus, and here's the mission, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus came to save. That was his mission and his purpose, is to save. Now, as we know, the road to salvation leads him to the cross. So that means that Jesus came to die. He came into the world as a baby with the purpose and the mission to die. Now, we know that everyone here will die at some point. We try to avoid it as best we can, but we know we will. But we don't consider ourselves as being born to die with the purpose of dying. But that's why Jesus was born. That's why he came into the world was to do exactly that, was to die. That was his purpose and the mission for him to be here. So his birth is significant because he came to save. And the salvation that he came to provide could only come through his own sacrifice, through his own death on the cross. Now notice too in verse 21 in the middle there, it says, the angel tells him, you shall call his name Jesus. So here... In this phrase, God is telling Joseph, he's calling Joseph to adopt Jesus as his earthly son. So he's not only saying, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, but he's saying, take this baby as well as your own son. In naming him, naming the, the son would be the role of the father. And so here, Joseph is taking on the role as the father of Jesus. We see God the Father God is choosing his name. He's telling him what name to give him, but it's Joseph who is giving the name to Jesus on earth. So this is Joseph's call, his command from God to be 
Jesus, earthly father. Now this serves two purposes, at least two purposes. Uh, one of them is that Jesus has, would have a dad to raise him. He's, he's a baby. He's, he's a human. He needs a dad. So that's one purpose, that he would have an earthly father to raise him as he grows. And secondly, Jesus is Joseph's son under the law. So legally, he would be Joseph's son, which this puts him officially and legally into the line, the lineage of David. As God promised to David that the Savior of the world would come through David's line, Joseph is in that line. And then Jesus, as his son, puts him in line with what God promised to David all those years before. So he's legally Joseph's son, and he is part of the lineage of David. And we see that in the first part of this chapter, of chapter 1 of Matthew. You can see that, the first 17 verses. Now, the whole verse of 21 talks about the son, the name, and salvation. This whole verse is a promise. It's not a wish or a hope, but it's a promise that Jesus will accomplish salvation. But it's interesting that this is not a new promise. Look at verse 22. Matthew tell us, tells us that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So there was a, a promise, like in the song we just sang, a promise long ago. This is that promise. So it's the same promise that God made all those years before, and now he's saying again, he will fulfill it. He will continue. This is not a new promise. Verse 22 and 23. Uh, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. In these two verses, Matthew is making sure that the, the reader understands that Jesus' birth happened, the way Jesus' birth happened was not a coincidence, and it wasn't an accident, but God had planned it this way from a long time ago. Verse 23 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah 7, the prophet Isaiah goes to King Ahaz. Now, Ahaz is in the, the genealogy of Christ as well. You can see in um, verse 9 of Matthew chapter 1. It lists King Ahaz. And we know from 2 Chronicles 28 that King Ahaz was not a good dude. He was a really bad king. And he completely opposed God. He refused to follow him. He was not a good guy at all. He worshiped idols. And as we see in 2 Chronicles 28, he even sacrificed his own sons as offerings to those idols. He's completely against God. He's completely opposite of who God is and what God represents. But how ironic is it that is that man that God promised to send a son to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. In contrast to Ahaz and his terrible behavior, God says, I will send a son and he will be God. He will be God with us. He will be Emmanuel so in verse 23, when it says the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, that's a, that's a pretty bold claim. Some people have tried to explain this passage away 
to say that it maybe means a, a girl who was, who was a virgin is, is then married and has a baby. But I think that's a bad argument because that interpretation could then describe every, every mother. It's a, it's a bad argument because it doesn't point to God's the miracle of the virgin birth. Now it says that he, she will bear a son. So the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. If we think about the likelihood of picking a, a boy or a girl, it's a 50-50 chance, right? When friends have, have babies and before they know if it's a boy or a girl, many times people will try to guess which one. There's all kinds of methods for how to guess, but it's really just a 50-50 chance. Those are pretty good odds. But think about statistically referring to Isaiah's prophecy to say that later on a girl will spontaneously be pregnant and deliver a baby and that baby will be a boy. Well, the prediction that that baby is a boy is completely impossible from many different angles. For one, it happened years before. But it comes back to the virgin birth. That's impossible. That's completely impossible. It never could have happened. So it's not a chance that this prophecy is then fulfilled. It's God's work that it is fulfilled. It's a miracle that God said would happen, and then it happened more than 700 years after he said it would. Now, the news of Jesus, uh, this is good news for all of us because, as this verse says in 23, his name is, his name, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. At long last, God is with us. I think many of us are looking forward to travel again when world travel is opened up. Most of us probably have friends and family that we have not seen in a long time, and we miss them dearly. Well, the longing that we feel is similar to what the whole people of Israel felt as they waited for God to send a Savior. Now imagine what it'll feel like when you finally see those friends and family that you haven't seen for a long time. The taste of joy that you will have as you're finally with them. You're together again with them. A Zoom call is not enough, but when you're with them, that joy. That's the taste of joy that Joseph would have felt when he realized that the baby in Mary's tummy was not a dilemma, but was God himself who had come to be with his people and to save them. That's the joy, that realization of this is it. This is the Savior. He's the one. And this is really good news for us today as well. God came to be with us as a man, the man Jesus. He came with a purpose to save his people from their sins. Sin is the term we use to, to refer to when we break God's law. Sin is breaking God's law and his rules. And the Bible says that all people have sinned. We have all broken God's rules. And because of our sin, we deserve to spend eternity in hell. But God is just and he's unwilling to put us to shame. Because of that, he saves us by Jesus' death and resurrection. 
this baby Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas, that we're reading about here, grows into a man. He lived a perfect life, a life without sin. And then he was tortured and killed on a Roman cross. He took the punishment for sinners like you and me. The punishment that we deserve. And now he covers us with his righteousness so that as Jesus' followers, we are not only saved from hell, but we are saved to a right relationship with God forever. Now to be one of God's people, to be a Christian, the Bible says that we must repent of our sin and believe in Jesus as our Savior. So friends, repent and believe today. If you have not, there is no better time than right now, than today, to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus as your Savior. Now this is God's good news for all people. It was good news for Joseph and it's good news for us. But God's good news requires a response. That response is either belief in Jesus or rejection of him. Those are the two options. Now our third point for the, this morning is all people must respond. All people must respond. Let's look at verse 24 and 25. It says, when Jesus, uh, Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So these verses, Matthew tells us that Joseph's response to the message from the Lord is that he woke up and obeyed. He takes Mary as his wife. He throws off the fear of man the fear of punishment that comes from the law, and he took Mary as his wife. We see that he exercises sacrificial self-control. He does not know Mary as a husband and wife until, she's given, until, until sometime after she's given birth to Jesus. And then he called his name Jesus, it says at the end of 25. So he takes Jesus, he adopts him as his own son. He gives him the name that God told him, to give, and he assumes the role that God had called him to take as the father of the Savior. Now, Joseph doesn't obey God so that God would send a Savior. God doesn't send the Savior because Joseph is worthy. No, Joseph obeys God because God has sent his Savior. Joseph believes God and his word. He trusts God and puts his faith in God's plan to save God's people. So we see that Joseph responds in faith and obedience. So how do you respond to the message of Jesus? The good news that Jesus is the Savior. All people must respond. Remember Joseph's dilemma. The right thing to do was the just thing. But he wanted to show mercy. And God's law did not provide a way to accomplish both, but Jesus does, and we need both. We are on our own. We cannot be righteous by ourselves. We cannot be right. We cannot be just before God. We need a Savior, and Jesus is the Savior that God has sent. As we think about Joseph's situation, how much changed in his situation from when he went to sleep to when he woke up after the dream. There, wasn't, there was nothing that changed in the situation he was facing. 
There was no change. Mary was still pregnant. People may still look down on him for marrying her. There's still the risk. But what had changed was that Joseph had changed. There wasn't an outside change, but there was an inside change, a heart change. He heard the good news of Jesus as Savior, and it changed him. He believed, and he was different afterwards. How much do you think Joseph risked by taking Mary and Jesus? It's possible that even his family kicked him out. They might have shamed him for marrying her. But we know that whatever the cost, Joseph knew that taking Mary and Jesus was the right thing to do because he knew the truth. He was changed by the news of Jesus. He believes God's message that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of God's people. So how do you respond to God's message, to this message that Jesus is the Savior that you need? Do you believe God's message about Jesus? Do you believe that He is the Savior? Well, the right response to the message of Jesus is to repent and to believe in Him as Savior and Lord. That is the right response. So friends, if you have not done that, if you have not repented of your sins and believed in Jesus as Savior, do that today. I urge you, don't take any more time, but believe. Now, we should not believe in Jesus and then add on a bunch of rules that we should follow. Joseph's response of obedience was out of faith in God, doing what he commanded out of faith. And we too need to follow God in that way. We don't respond to, to the message of Jesus by believing and then being as good as we can, living the best life we can. Now let's take a look again at verse 23, at the very end. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Christians, brothers and sisters, we are in a relationship with God himself. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked at Galatians chapter 4, where it says that for Christians, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So as Christians, God is still with us. Jesus ascended into heaven after His resurrection, and then He sent the Holy Spirit to be in our hearts to help us to cry, Abba, Father. So our repentance and belief brings us into a right relationship with God. And that relationship with God will last into eternity. So we want to respond in belief and obedience. But not an obedience out of fear of punishment, out of rules and laws, but an obedience because we have faith in Emmanuel, in God with us. Now I want to conclude with a final word about our response to Jesus as Savior. It is proper and accurate for us to respond to Jesus with joy, with joy. Joseph went to bed that night thinking that his wife, soon-to-be wife, had been unfaithful to him. That is one of the worst fears come true for any person. But God's good news revealed that Mary's pregnancy is even better than he could have imagined. 
that overpowering happiness that he must have felt going from the darkest of dark to incredibly bright. That is joy. He experienced joy, the joy of the Lord, knowing that the baby in Mary, in her womb, was, is God himself, was the Christ. Now the Bible is full of calls for us to be joyful in the Lord. When repenting of sin, David in Psalm 51 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. There is joy in the salvation of God. In Acts chapter 8, it describes how a, the gospel message was brought to a Samaritan city. They heard the message of Jesus, and so there was much joy in that city. They responded with joy because of God's salvation. So friends, our sin puts us in a terrible condition before God. When we are alone in our sin, we are in the darkest of dark places. But Jesus has come. The bright light of God has come, and He has saved us from that darkness and into the light. And for that, we should respond in joy. Let's pray. God, we pray with the angels who announced Jesus' birth, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Glory to you, God, for saving us. Help us to overflow with the joy of Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, as he is the joy to us and to all the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.